Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bench Units podcast. My voice sounds really bad for some reason. I think it's hay fever. Um, I was going to start off by saying welcome to uh, Luka Doncic's world. We all just live in it, but I got sidetracked by the fact that I sound terrible. Mark, how do you sound? Uh, I think I sound luscious. Thank you for asking. My my dulcet monotone. Ah, no comment. (laughs) On that note... Um, Some basketball was played this weekend. It was. Shall we start on the British League playoffs? Because that's the hot ticket. Yeah. Um, Congrats to the London Titans for winning the playoffs. I will not congratulate London Titans. And it fills me with great sadness to be welcoming my baby into a world where London Titans are the reigning champions. But I'm going to have to find a way through that. I also don't think your baby cares. No, I I don't know. I can't speak for your baby. I'll make it care. Um, Yeah, so we're not going to talk British playoffs because most of the games were awful, but we will talk about the real stuff because we have the last weekend of the Spanish League season. We had game one of the playoffs in both Italy and Germany. Of course, Italy may as well have happened in a cave on a desert island because you need a goddamn VPN to watch the finals because they don't want anyone outside of the country that it's played in to know that it's going on. But that is a discussion for another time. Shall we hit Spain first? Um, we will also hit congratulations, Loughborough Lightning, for winning the first Women's Premier League pass while we're here. Um, cool. Yeah, let's hit Spain. Let's do it. If I'm going to congratulate the London Titans, I'm also going to congratulate the Loughborough Lightning. <laughs> yeah. I, I've, I don't know if I should get into this on the podcast, but there's like enough going around how we try and keep up with everything on our Instagram. So we like got a feel of what's going on in the various leagues. And there's this whole thing where they're like undefeated the entire season. It's like, yes, you have all the players. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. I was talking. I was talking to someone about it, and I was like, "They're doing well, as they should be, but they're doing well." Like, but yeah, right. Shall we talk about Valladolid for one of the last times? I think that they're, they're going to Copa del Rey next week, aren't they? So it's not the last time. So are they? Yeah, yeah. So Yelma does not get the belt this week, but he will have Copa del Rey to try and get the belt. Yelma's also stopped asking for the belt, and it makes me wonder if either he's stopped finding his own joke funny or if people don't really care about the belt anymore, and they'd very much like it to be the first and not the second. Might be both, or maybe he figures out that asking for the belt is not something you can do. Yeah, shout out to Chema. Um, yeah, so this was Valladolid 47, Illunion 73. And yeah, I think the story here is Illunion kind of peaked last weekend and are certainly looking to carry that momentum on until Copa del Rey. And it would have been very surprising to see them have a week where they dipped at this point. Um, I think it was pretty evident that they were coming out to stop that from happening because they didn't take any shortcuts against Vidalid and yeah Vidalid's best hope of winning this game would have been that they caught Illunion in a lull between the two big weekends in the calendar and that didn't really happen which meant it was an uphill battle from Vidalid's side yeah I mean we've got them next week so I was like is there going to be a lull would that be nice but yeah. of course not no course they're not. um when we spoke to Greg the other week I think he made it pretty clear that Basically, everybody in the Illunion locker room hits snooze on their alarm until kind of mid to late May. And then they're like, all right, let's go to work. Um, so, yeah, this was Illunion. They also, didn't, they also didn't start Terry. Yeah, there is that. And they were, the other thing. But I think that was, I mean, Terry didn't start right up until... Champions Cup, right? Because he was coming back from having his broken finger. So I wonder if this was just further maintenance program. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, to be fair, maybe if you have a big weekend after coming back from an injury and then you have to play via the lead who you beat by 30. Yeah. Like maybe don't take the risk on, on trying to hit absolutely 100% firing on all cylinders. Yeah, save it for next weekend when they play us in the Copa del Rey. <laughs> Good lad. 
So this was five guys in double figures for Ulinion. So Greg was 17, um, Bill was 16. Those guys are combined 16 from 23. Chuck in 14 from Pablo on an additional seven from nine. And you're going to have to help me out with the young guy's name here because they it's written differently on the stats to what it is that they were saying on the thing. I think it's Paco Quiles, is that right? Yeah, yeah, Paco. Um, apparently, apparently, I don't know the guy. I don't know how Francis... We can do him outside a kebab shop in Erfurt once. <laughs> <laughs> you say once as if that wasn't last week. Yes, that was once. <laughs> well, I know last week was once, but it's like saying once means it happened once in your life and you can't pinpoint it as if it wasn't seven days ago. Um, probably it was eight days ago now, I guess. But yeah, this was... 12 from Paco, 12 from Terry in only 14 minutes. And as has been the case with Vidalid, apart from when they've been able to steal one here and there, they get double figures from kind of three guys and not a whole lot else. So 17 from Yelmer, 10 from Maxi Ruggeri, 11 from Adrian Perez, and then a combined nine points from the rest of their roster. And yeah, you're going to struggle if... Like I say, the, their best chance of taking this game off Illunion was that Illunion didn't show up to it. And the moment that became apparent it wasn't happening, this was kind of, this one was over, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Better team beats worse team with yeah. a lot to play for at the end of the season. Yep. I think that's about as deep as we're going to get into this one. Shall we shift on? Yes. Okay. Next game, Mercia 66, Las Rosas 69. So this was mental. <laughs> the, I was messaging about this while watching it, being like, what in God's name happened? And yeah. what happened was Mercia were up 10 with two and a half minutes to go and <laughs> lost by three. Which is, we should point out at this point, we always do the the um, Las Rosas number of possessions per game thing is like a bit. And this was, I have no idea how you go from up 10 against Las Rosas to giving the game away because they are lucky to get, that's a 13 point turnaround in two minutes. I think Las Rosas averaged something like three possessions every two minutes. So that's them scoring an average of what, slightly over four points per possession, which is... Well, like, you know what helps? Being in the bonus and filing when you're in a disadvantage rather than being like, hey, them scoring two points that takes 14 seconds or 18 seconds off the shot clock is better for us than them going to the line with a dead shot clock and turning the ball over like three times as well. That yeah. would help. The this, is, this is about as critical as I've been of anyone else. And I don't mean it, but it's like, come on. Yeah. Like, if you just manage that a little bit better, you do all right. Yeah, definitely. I think. Yeah, it's just me. The, this was Mercier giving it away, man. There's like, there is no situation in which you can be up 10, lose by three and come away from that being like, hey, we did everything we could. They just beat us. <laughs> it, it, there is no opportunity for it to work that way, I don't think. No. Um, yeah, this was... Will... Losing the game by three on an and one at the end of the game as well. It's like, oh, God. Yeah, this was, this was mental. If anyone hasn't watched this, I strongly encourage it. It was wildly more gripping than you would expect from two teams who've been toiling away towards the bottom of the league for most of the season. Um, Gomez with 28 is the big story. Alexis Ruiz with 24. Cano was back randomly. He's one of a string of last-minute, uh, I guess, reunion special appearances that we seem to have in the Spanish League this year. Yeah, it's like the last episode of a TV show <laughs> when they just bring all the characters. Yeah. In the it was so strange. Yeah, it was bizarre. Um, yeah, I don't know where he went in the first place, but it, welcome back, I guess. Yeah, it, it's actually, I think Las Rosas play so slowly and so deliberately, they have limited upside, but they've relied so much on their three big guys, two of which need to play at a snail's pace for the majority of the game to be able to play 40 minutes. But 
like chucking Cano back in, you almost can kind of see the outline of being like, hey, these guys have two units now, and that might be enough that were they to roll the same squad out next year, they could probably nick a handful of games off. You know, they're not definitely fighting for a bottom two spot at this point. They've got enough that it's not just completely predicated on whether their one style of play matches up with whoever they're going up against on any given week. Yeah, like he brings them a bit more like dynamism, a yeah. little bit more versatility. Like they wouldn't get they wouldn't get pressed as much, I think, with him on the floor. Like he was plus twelve in this game to be fair. Plus twelve in 20 minutes in a game you won by three. Like, and yeah, it's worth bringing him back. Unless I want to use it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, worth bringing him back just for where, wherever he has been. I don't know, but it was an inspired choice to bring him back for this one game that you won by three and would have lost by nine without him because that's how plus minus works. Um, yeah, plus minus works. Yeah, this was the interesting one here is we talk about this with Lesser Obsessed more or less every week, but they won the possession battle pretty soundly, I think. So they got 59 field goal attempts up to Mercia's 54 and 19 free throws to their 12. So if you say that two free throws is roughly one possession, discounting and ones and stuff, that's a pretty clear... So what does that make it? 50... That makes it 60 to... Let's say 67. That's pretty big possession discrepancy in last Rosas' favour given that we've had games where they struggle to get like 40 attempts up sometimes. Yeah, they're plus nine in offensive rebounds, which helps, but I don't know, like, I wouldn't count that as extra possessions if it was a putback off your own shot, for yeah. example, which is not something that these stats give us and not something that I'm prepared to count, so. Yeah, fair enough. The, um, I guess that the other big news is they won this game with Salvador Zavala playing 10 minutes and going one from three, which at the start of the season would have been unthinkable because he was carrying them for big stretches. So I think there's some... I think if you're the coach of Las Rosas or the decision makers who are getting guys in and out, maybe don't take too much off of the win because it was fluky and weird and Mercy kind of handed it to you, but there's enough signs within the win that you can feel like your team moved in the right direction this year, I think. Yeah. Well, if they stay up, well, yeah, they have to play a game to stay up. Sure. Which is mental. Uh, so teams who have secured staying up, who have now brought that decision into question, Mercia got 13 from Lalo, 24 from Joaquin Robles, and 15 from Philip Halfley. All on pretty decent efficiency. Those guys all shot over 50%. Uh, sorry, Lalo was six for thirteen, so he's slightly under fifty percent. But yeah, yeah, they just got not a lot of anything from anybody else, and happily only playing fifteen minutes with five fouls is like I know this contributes to them being in the bonus and stuff, but it's like if they could have got happily on the floor for more than fifteen minutes, I feel confident they would have had a much better chance to win this game. That's not exactly a scorching hot take, but no, yeah, no, I think like we've spoken about them, it looks very much like they have a very good setup and they're sort of well set up to now that they're staying in the league, they're set up to maybe sign some guys and yeah, I, a little bit, but I, I don't know about you. I've already heard of one guy who is it is rumored that there is a, a mid heading there, but we probably can't say more than that at this point, but that would definitely help. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that, and that would be decent. If you, Listeners, if you want to find out, keep listening, and we'll talk about it when we're allowed to, and we're not speculating on people's careers for our own whims. Right? Yeah, because we won't do that. <laughs> it's not a gossip place. Yeah, shall we move on? Yep. Decent. Okay, this is one of the better games of the Spanish League this weekend. This was Malaga 53, reigning champions of Europe and now champions of the Spanish League, Amiab Albacete, 68. Congratulations, Amiab Albacete. Again. Uh, yeah. So this was... This kind of struck me as this was like Malaga's season in a microcosm, I think. 
Yeah. They're like scrappy enough and good enough at what they do and making better teams uncomfortable that they hung around for a good bit. And it was, I think at halftime, it was like disproportionately close. Um, and I would say it made some big shots to get ahead just before halftime. And then it gets down to kind of crunch time and it's like uh, Malaga don't have the discipline and or arsenal of weaponry that Amiab have in these situations. And that kind of puts a ceiling on them in a close game against a team with more structure, I think. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. And Amiab are maybe the best equipped, like clutch offense team in definitely in the league, but I thought you were going to say Amiab are maybe the best team in Europe. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think they kept, they made a, a solid case that that is it. Well, yeah, no, Amiab are the best team in Europe um, officially. So yeah. Yeah. No, like they're so well sort of stocked and well structured and know what they're doing at this point. And they're obviously still rolling from a week ago. Yeah, sure. Um, so this was 21 for Kyle Marsh, 15 for Gaz Chowdhury, 11 for Filipski off the bench, uh, 8 for Lee Manning. And then we got 4 from Ben Fox, 5 from Alejandro Zazuela, and 4 from Oscar and Rubio as well. So the Albacete spread of points catches a lot of teams, I think. Um, we've talked about before how they don't necessarily need. It's not like some of these other teams we talk about where it's like if your top three guys don't bring it with 20 plus each, then you've got no chance. Um, and then, yeah, on the Malaga side, this is kind of what we're talking about. There's 21 from Ezekiel Esparza, 10 from Cozzarina, and a pretty quiet game for him. Also, they didn't start him despite the fact he's been fairly obviously their best player all year. And it's like, hey, start the guy who can shoot over everybody and very seldom misses. Um, yeah, I still think that's weird, but yeah, <laughs> bizarre to me. But they got 21 from Esparza, 10 from Cozzarina, and then a bunch of chip-ins from everybody else, like six six and seven from uh, Rodrigo Perez and Pete Kudak. And when you look at the drop-off between their top two guys to the rest of their roster, that kind of illustrates the difference between them and Albacete, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The one, like... Amivel are in that spot where they're like sixth best team in the league probably and can cause people some trouble. Um, they've been a union. They, we scraped by them. Um, but my only thing of this was like, I wondered if Amiab would have had a week of like shaking hands with politicians and being hungover. And I wondered if that was the route to it, but no, they showed up and did their job and won the league. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this was... I don't think there's a massive amount to unpack on the MAB side here because they've just spent a weekend beating teams that are more qualified and established than Malaga are. Yeah, for sure. Um, Malaga strike me as if they were an NBA team, they would be looking to do the, hey, we'll package three decent role players for your star player kind of thing because they have enough of a spread of talent that there's no obvious direction to take it in at this point, other than we need somebody to run the show properly. Yeah, they have so many players and they like legitimately play nine of them all the time for some sort of spread. Yeah. Um, I think they're only really a guy or two. I don't know who they'll let go um, this summer coming up, but presumably they have a plan there and yeah, I think they're only really one offensive centerpiece away from being pretty dangerous. And I think when they do that, it may lead to some questions about whether they need to have as much depth as they do because they seem to, all season, they seem to have spent a lot of time searching for their best lineup. And it's like, hey, if you get one guy in here or everyone else can orbit, you'll probably find your best lineups a lot quicker. Yeah. And that person who is hypothetically going there, like, do you think they still play them like 19 minutes and 35 seconds like <laughs> they do everyone else or probably not? Uh, maybe. I Anyone who's a big name who's going there is probably like, hey, I would like to not do this platooning. Where I mean, we joke about this. Uh, Esparza played 40 minutes and Abdi played 37. So it's like maybe, maybe we're 
we're doing this up a little bit too much. But yeah, I don't imagine anyone who's looking at the talent base in Malaga and saying, hey, I think I could run the ship there, is getting into their meeting about a contract and being like, can I have it stipulated in my contract that I would also like to play less than 22 minutes per game? That's hilarious. I'd love that. (laughs) But no, I I don't know. There's a weird thing with rotating and wheelchair basketball where I'm like, hey, you play once a week. Like, you could play five. (laughs) You could play six guys. Yeah, well, we kind of saw that in Champions Cup where a bunch of teams (laughs) literally only went with, like, seven guys and only played six of them the entire time. And that's, like, the most intense schedule of games that you see all season. So yeah, you... like Turingen and Landale rotated quite a lot. And that was about it. But like Turingen rotated flat out. Jokes on them, they finished third and fourth. <clears throat> I don't think like I don't think the rotating was everything. <laughs> I think it's just two very good Spanish teams in the league. Yeah. But yeah. All right, next game. Up next. So Vigo 62, Mediva 76. Uh I watched this game. Saw that Romo and Alejos got 23 and 19 shots up between them. And I was like, oh, they almost hit the arbitrary benchmark we set for them every week. And ultimately, I just felt a bit deflated that when Copa del Rey rolls around, I'll still have to watch at least one more Vigo game. Yeah. Who do they get in the crossover? Um, I think this is a preview. I think it's Medina. Oh, yeah. Vigo next week as well. So, yeah, spoiler alert. Although this one was marginally closer than I would have expected to be entirely fair, because Madiba won the final quarter by six, and it was a 14-point game. So this was within single digits going into the last 10 minutes, which I wouldn't have called ahead of time. Yeah. Um, And Vigo have another classic stat sheet where you look at it and you're like, this does not add up to 62 points. I'm I'm sure it does, but I refuse to read all the numbers. Um. (laughs) Yeah, so 25 for Romo on 23 shots, 16 for Alejos on 19 shots. They got the right number of shots up. Uh, Julio Villas was five from eight, chipping in. I actually think, I think Madiba are too talented, but I think as far as just matchups go, like outside of talent disparity, Vigo matchup. If they had to pick a team in the top four to play in Copa del Rey, I think Madiba would be their pick because they basically have two guys who are relatively happy to settle for contested post-ups as a source of offense. And it's like there's plenty of contested post-ups when you play Madiba. And they yeah, they knocked enough shots down that the score line was respectable, even if I don't know how seriously I would take them to upset Madiba in the first round next week. Oh, not at all. No. I no, no. Can't say it. Can't say it even a bit. You need to give that any more thought. No. <laughs> None. Um like I just don't think like I I just there's no real roadmap. Like even Romo and Alejos going absolutely nuts together. I still don't see it. No. It's because yeah. it'll be such a difficult, like as you say, contested post-ups like Mediba have the sort of size and versatility to make that so hard for those two guys. Yeah, I just don't trust the rest of them to get it done. No, you're right. On the flip side, this was something of an ex-Vigo player revenge game because Madiba got 24 from Salvador Sandoval and 21 from Lewis. They were combined 20 from 29 as well, which is pretty good efficiency um, from your kind of third and fourth guys. Um, Yeah, Madiba, I've talked about Madiba defending uh, Vigo just there, but what shouldn't get looked over here is that Madiba shot 65% and they got 76 points up on 52 shot attempts, which is nuts. Yeah. Uh, it's not nice. It's, it's very, very good. Yeah, that seems they got um, they lost the possession battle against Vigo by 12 possessions at roughly uh, takeaway offensive rebounds and stuff, but Vigo got 12 more shots up than Madiba did, which I never would have called in a million years. And it also it didn't really feel like that watching the game. I don't know quite where they came from, if I'm honest. But yeah, this was if you'd have said going into this, Vigo are gonna lose by 14 to Madiba, I would have said that's not a terrible performance from. Vigo, and then if you said they were going to lose by 14 while getting up 12 more shots, 
and allowing Madiba to shoot 23% better than them. <laughs> I'd be like, how does how how do these numbers make sense now? Yeah. But it is it's a weird one. I yeah, I think this is a dependency on Romo and Lighthouse have kind of spent all season being like, hey, we're gonna get shots up regardless. And maybe that's where the possession things thing comes in. But I don't think it's very often Madiba lose the possession battle by any significant margin. So I'd be surprised if we saw this again next week. Yeah, I was gonna say, so that was a 14-point game. How many point how many points is it next week in Copa del Rey? Is it double? Uh yeah, it could very easily be that. I think it's more than that. Yeah. Which is no offense to Vigo. It's just Madiba are very, very, very good. Yeah, no offense. And will want to like win something for the great season they've had. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. So, yeah, I don't think there's much more to it than this. Uh, 13 for Phil with nine assists, nine rebounds, and 16 for John Hernandez with 10 rebounds, seven assists. Salvador had eight assists as well. We should point that out. Yeah. Um, yeah, very even spread of assists for. Madiba actually had not noticed that when I first looked at the stat sheet. Oh, in, yeah, 28 assists on 34 made baskets is good going. Um, dipping back to the British League playoffs very briefly because I've just thought about with the assists. I don't know who was doing the assists, at the stats for those weekends, but somebody didn't understand how assists worked because there was something like a game with 35 made baskets and there was like, 43 registered assists, something. I was like, oh my god, fellas, this is this is not what's going on here. But it's like, it's like hockey or something where you get, I think, everybody who passes in the chain to the score gets an assist to their name. Yeah, but, I saw, I think it was like BBL Fix or something, uh, shared Robin Love's stat line for the first game in the playoffs, and she had like. 30-something points, 25 assists, 12 rebounds. <laughs> but the funniest thing was they put the turnovers on the thing as well. And it was like, it, it was to illustrate that it was 25 assists and only two turnovers. But it just looks really funny. It looks like they're being a perfectionist, being like, up, 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 up. <laughs> Threw the ball away twice. But yeah. that's a mental stat line. But it's just so funny to be like, eh. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, let's not get into this. I think it's my big from doing this week after week over the season, it's been my biggest gripe with the whole um stats from I think the Spanish league's worse for it, maybe, but it's like, hey guys, this is the assists handed out in some of these games are incredibly generous, yeah. But, it but is- apparently, that happens in like the NBA as well. Like, apparently, if you count home team stats yourself. There's some real, real generous assist giving. Fair enough. Um, we've already spoken about Mercia as well, who are u- usually criminally um, criminally generous with the assists to both teams, and not just the assists. They also give you an extra point for almost every made basket like they did with you guys. Oh, that was excellent. <laughs> right. Up next, Burgos, Gran Canaria. Yeah, so this was Burgos 55, Gran Canaria 68, still without Rose because she doesn't have any wheels. Um, I would like to open this game with a question. If Rose didn't have any wheels but still played and you just planted her on the right wing, how would this game have gone? If you went four on five on defense and Rose couldn't move on offense. Does she get any stabilizing to her chair? Like, can she proper chair so she doesn't fall if she has to reach or anything like that um yes right okay like um, sandbags either side or something yeah. so i think rose finishes this game with 12 points on like six of nine yeah i'll take that um yeah this is a 13 point win for gran canaria i think with rose sitting still the entire game there's a there's very low hanging fruit to be where you could be like oh Rose sits still on defense anyway or oh whoever was in for Rose sits still on defense so it's fine but I think yeah I would bump this up three more points if there was a completely stationary catch and shoot Rose Holloman on the left wing yeah which this was an incredibly pointless discussion but I'm glad we did it oh no I'm super into it. <laughs> Um, very, very glad this happened. The big news for Burgos is that 
looking like they were just going to wind down the season with primarily their local guys after we'd not seen Lee Fryer since January. And I think De Jong, Kim had flown back to Korea over Easter and they told him not to fly back for the last three games. No, they didn't say that. There were visa issues, apparently. Is that they didn't. Yeah. Like they, everyone was trying to sort it. There was just paperwork in the way. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, so looking like they weren't going to have those guys back. They both appeared, much to my surprise when watching this game. Um, I think this was Burgos. Burgos had two games this weekend, but I think this was their last-ditch attempt at not finishing bottom. So they needed to win one or two, preferably two games. And spoiler alert for one of the next games we're going to look at, they won neither of those. Um, Even with Lee and Kim, they just going to struggle dropping two guys straight in to try and win your game against a team that famously has run the same thing for the last four years to or three years to near perfection now. And be like, hey, yeah. go and disrupt this machine that's churning along is a big... Yeah, there's just a weird thing with Burgos where it's like, if you had these guys, and I don't know why Lee left or why he's back, like, I don't know anything about that. But, like, these aren't the games that you need to win to stay up. Like, if you yeah. beat one of the teams that's in and around the bottom of the league, you'd be in better shape. Yeah, strange. Um, all felt a little bit desperate to cling on, didn't it? But, yeah, I've... I find it, I've tried to defend Burgos on multiple occasions and I'm not going to do it this week because they, this seemed incredibly weird that they were like, hey, let's go for it and see if we can upset Gran Canaria, who are the third best team in the league, and that'll save our season. It's like, that's a slight reach, guys. I don't think it's going to pan out that way. Yeah. So hold on, just to clarify, when you said that you thought Burgos and Madiba were going to be in the mix with each other at the start of the season, did you think that Burgos were going to be second in the league or that Madiba were going to be last? Uh, I think my ultimate idea was that they would both be roughly somewhere in the middle, but I have been proved wrong on at least one of those. Just last week of the season, man, I just wanted to get one last. You thought Burgos (laughs) and Madiba were going to be similarly built teams. I did think about coming on here and being like, well, you know, I, I, I think Burgos really still have a chance this year. Yeah, they might win the league next year. <laughs> it's going to be a different one. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll still be fully on the bandwagon when they're fighting to come back up to then get panned again in a couple of years' time. Yeah. Okay, um, so the other thing that we need to bring up is Ari was eight from eight. Yeah, this went this went a little bit under the radar because I there's a weird kind of eight from eight or any hundred percent line where all your shots are open enough that it's almost cut. Someone will be like, "Oh, this guy shot hundred percent," and you'd be like, "Yes, look at the shots they were taking." Um, but that also shouldn't be the case because plenty of people get open looks against not very good teams and don't shoot hundred percent. So. There's kind of an unfair take on this straight from the off. But yeah, shout out to Ari. Um, one of yeah, two. His weren't all layup, so like he had some post-ups and yeah, stuff. Sure. One of 200% performances this week. Speaking of which, next. Uh, I wish we had someone else that wasn't me loaded up. Was it was it Alvaro Ruiz Ramos, who plays for Burgos, who went one from one? Yes. One from one games famously do count. They do. That they don't. You have to shoot more than three shots for a hundred percent game to count. Oh, okay. That's just I've decided. Um, all right, thanks. All right, so Bilbao 75, Zuzanak 43. Zuzanak were also very much playing for staying in the league. So, well, mission this is a weird one. This is a weird one. So, we were playing them and their future depended on a bit on them, a little bit on that Mercia Las Rosas game. I think if Mercia beat Las Rosas, they would have been safe, like either way, which is such a mad one to have to depend on. Yeah. But so we kind of knew they were playing us and then they were playing Burgos the day after. So if we put them away early, they might stop trying. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, I mean, they might like pull their starters yeah. to save them for the day after. Which they did, like... They did. Well, you guys won the first quarter 24-9, so that was 
I doubt after their first 10 minutes, their coach wasn't like, hey, guys, don't worry. You've got 30 more minutes and then 40 more tomorrow to make this right. Um, yeah, this was just, you guys are obviously much, much better than they are, is what this comes down to. And all five of your starters scored double figures. Yes. You guys got 73 shots up to their 57. Um, yeah, they just didn't have the firepower, offensive shot creation or finishing capability that you guys did. And yeah. there was a certain guy on Bilbao who you may have heard of who had a 100% game. Yeah, I, I took seven layups and made seven of them, which is nice. <laughs> we were mucking around. We were joking about it. And I was like, yeah, layups. But there is something nice about like just not mucking up any of the easy stuff. Yeah, and it means you didn't fall into your contractual one air ball per game. That you yeah. Were you going to, like, after you'd um, made all your shots and then you were, because you played 25 minutes, so I think you sat out a good portion. Did you have a, a point where they were, like, subbing you for definite? Were you like, I'm just going to heave a shot up here and get my air ball in? Uh, no. <laughs> um... what, what a weird flex that would be. I don't know. It was it was a weird one where it was like we were beating we were beating the brakes off them, and then I came off in the second corner. And we started rotating, and it started going a bit weirdly. Um, not like not in danger, but just got a bit scrappy. And I was like, "Oh, we're going to go back to the starters here." I thought I was done. Like when you go into a game like that, first quarter's twenty four nine, and you're like, "I might unstrap here." <laughs> but, well, yeah. there is a weird thing, isn't there? Where like, this is kind of the perfect case in point, but. You guys won 24-9 in the first quarter and then they won the second quarter 14-12. And it when you're in that game, for some reason, as soon as it like the pace falls off of you extending the lead, there's like an underlying sense of, hey, we're not doing our job here. And it's like, and I think at the point in which you're 15 and just staying 15 ahead, you are doing your job. But because you've got off to such a good start, you see like the drop off in velocity of expanding the lead and it feels like you're underperforming. Which... Yeah, and like coaches call timeouts when that stuff happens as well. And players are like, what is wrong with you? We're up 20. I don't mean in this situation. I mean, in general, players are like, for God's sake, we're up 20. And it's like, yeah, but if we're being scrappy and we've turned the ball over three times against a team that we're up 20 against, we probably aren't taking care of things. Like it's a coach's job to be like, hey, come on. Yeah. we've got more games and we can get something out of this that isn't just on the scoreboard in this game. Yeah, sure. But yeah. Um, yeah. Favorite, they, they favorite are... stat from this game, Hasso zero from one threes. I don't remember him shooting it, but I presume that he just did it because he felt like it because you guys were up by a lot. Hasso, Hasso pulls threes in... in um, trading every oh, so often like when we're scrimmaging it'll just be like give me one and I'll just roll the ball out to him and stay in the halfway line because I'm like this is either going in or it isn't and I want no part of it <laughs> um but yeah like he's actually not a bad shooter he's got he's got some touch man um but he's also just so massive that I'm like you being better than I think you are at this stuff doesn't mean you're better than it doesn't mean you're better than being under the basket and being massive yeah. also I just randomly clicked on Hasso and the way it tells you, like, your game stats and your season stats, he's almost, like, lined up perfectly. He had 16-12-2, and two, and he's averaging 15.5, and 11.5, and 1.1. This just bumped his averages up slightly. To just, about, just in case it matters. Yeah, which, famously, it does. Um, right, last Spanish league game. This uh, We've talked about these two teams already. We just talked about... Um, well, we didn't really talk about last Rosas. We talked about you guys, but... This was Las Rosas, not Las Rosas, Zuzanak, 74, Burgos, 70. So a sad ending to a sad Burgos season is my read on this, although Macek did have his usual game and was 12 from 19 for 27 points. Yes. Burgos actually got double figures from four guys and still lost. <laughs> like this might have been their best chance to win one all year, and they lost to Zuzanak, giving up 30 to Ruben Viso. Yeah. Ruben Viso has been good for Zuzanak, though. Yes. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. a take all year. 11 from 25 is a bit rough, but 
Um, he went to the line nine times, which makes it look a little better. Like, but what was I going to say? Where did Gim go for this game? Uh, I honestly don't know. I have been confused by the presence of the Korean guys all year because I thought they'd only got Gim back for the game on Saturday, but the other Korean guy's name was on the stat sheet, although he didn't play, and then neither of them were there for this one. I've I'm honestly so confused by what their player situation is. They kind of seem like it's like an old boys club, isn't it? Where if you've played for them at some point, they'll just kind of take you back in, <laughs> in at a moment's notice. But yeah, I don't know what's going on here. But um, it was a bit weird. Yeah, it's very strange. But Marchek was 27, Lee Fry with 11, uh, Abdulaziz with 11, Martin Arredondo with 12 for Burgos kind of seems like a line that should win you a game yeah against the, the game thing's just mad to me I wonder if it's like visa work permission type I have no idea like I wonder yeah, well, but it's, it's like I imagine if you fly in from South Korea I, I assume he was at home if you fly in from South Korea to play on the Saturday I assume there isn't a Sunday morning flight like I don't know where he'd go yeah or, or he got a temporary visa or something to go back and play these last two games and it ran out between Saturday and Sunday and they're like, nope, you just got to wait at the airport now. But it's like, if you've got all that paperwork, come on, yeah. like, do the paperwork to play Zuzanak, not <laughs> Grand Canary. I, I'm just speculating at this point, but like, God, that's... Yeah. Like, I hope he wasn't like injured in the first game or something and we just didn't notice, but... Uh, no, I think if, it, if you're injured, then presumably you're on the stat sheet still because you're named and... If you're injured, you still can possibly play. So I think they put you on the stat sheet. I think to not be on the stat sheet, you have to not be present or eligible somehow. Yeah. Yeah, this was... I'm beyond trying to figure out what's going on there. But yeah, shout out to Zuzanet getting a win. 30 from Ruben Vizo, 12 from Jose Leap, um, and 15 from Ali Shokohi, who I've not said his name all year in all the games we've talked about. So... Yeah, this was a bottom of the league clash. And should we do the final Spanish league standings before we move on? Sure. Have you got them in front of you? I have. So, number one, would you like to guess who it is? Is it uh, Burgos? It is. How did you know? Uh, Are you reading it upside down? Burgos, yeah, the top of the leaderboard. If you turn the leaderboard upside down and read the names upside down. Um, number one, <laughs> Burgos backwards is so grub. <laughs> <laughs> Stick it on the baby names list. Uh, oh, that's horrendous. Albacete, number one, Madiba, number two, Grand Canaria, number three, Bilbao, four. Yeah, pretty good season from you guys. Four losses, considering you were three and three in the first six games of the season. Yeah, we are 18 and four in a season where we just didn't have two of our guys, one of which does everything for this team. <laughs> That's not bad. Um, also, since being three and three, we have lost one game and Manu wasn't there. Yeah, and neither were your other two guys who haven't been there since. Yeah. But even that is that is me saying that, like, since they were out, like the the five that we run in the league that is a point over hasn't lost a game. Yeah, not bad. Not yet. We'll see. Illuni <laughs> <laughs> um, on fifth. Uh, then big drop off, and we get to Malaga at six with eleven and eleven, and then everybody else is under fifty percent win rate from there. So Vigo seventh, Vidalid eighth. Mercia 9th, Zuzanak 10th, Las Rosas 11th, and my beloved Sogrub 12th. And yeah, see you later, Burgos. It hasn't been fun, although I've tried to pretend it is every week and I'm tired of it. So what happens now? Burgos goes down, Las Rosas has to play a game with the team that might be being promoted to either stay in the league or send them down, which is super weird. Um, I would call yeah. Las Rosas to beat anybody who finished top of the division below this, though. Like, oh yeah, for sure. Las Rosas have guys at the very least. I think so. Yeah. Right. Shall we move on to the two 
bigger ticket games than just the end of the regular Spanish season. Sure. So did you happen to get a plane to Italy to watch the <laughs> Italian Cup or the Italian uh, playoff final game? I did not because I, well, as much as I probably would have enjoyed that, it seems impractical in a two-day weekend to fly there, watch a game and fly home. But yeah, this was Julian uh, over 70 and Cantu 67. So for those of you that remember, there was Coppa Italia a couple of weeks back and Julian over made the final of that as well. And this, we already knew this was the playoff matchup at that point. So I think when Julian over only lost that game by five or six, I think there was a sense of, hey, that was closer than expected. Cantu then went to Champions Cup minus Filippo Carasino and took away some of their lineup flexibility. Yeah. So when I saw that Giulianova had won this game, my assumption was that Carasino hadn't been back for this. and He was there, and he was their second highest point scorer. Yeah, so I was like, hey, it makes sense that Giulianova just lost this game. Cantu lose a pretty key piece of what they're doing, and it can give Giulianova the edge. And... That didn't even need to be the case because Giulianova just won this game because they have guys who've been around the Italian league for a combined 800 seasons. And yeah, they got it done, man. They All five of their starters with... Oh, Stupenego had nine. I thought they had five starters and double figures. But yeah, Badoon with 23 going against his old team. Cavanini with 15. Biginskis with 11. Uh, Benvenuto with... 10. I don't know if we got into this last time we looked at the Giulianova stat sheet, but Benvenuto is literally welcome. So that guy's surname is welcome, which is ridiculous. Uh, no, we, we didn't get into that, but um, fun. and yeah, Stupenango with nine. So yeah, we will never know what happened here because nobody can watch the damn game. But this was... No, but uh, Dimaggi and Sophie both played about five minutes each, so I imagine four big lineup didn't didn't get in a whole lot. Yeah. Sophie didn't. Yeah, this is... I mean, Papi had 24th Cantu, so he was the top scorer in the entire game. Um, They got 14 from Carasino, who's back. They got 13 from Sega, and they even got 12 from... Well, they got a combined 14 points from their two ones who played the majority of the minutes. And generally getting your two lows to chip in 10-plus points combined when you've got three bigs who are scoring seems like a pretty winning formula um yeah man they got nothing nothing from their bench the bench scoring in the entire game was two all it was two for galliano marchione and julian over and two for simone de on cantu um yeah this was entirely just a battle of our starting five is better than yours and julian over got it in game one and Adolfo Badoon is not to be trifled with, I think, is the message here. No, he scored to put them up for the first, like for that last time in the game with just less than a minute to go before they started the filing stuff, the usual end game situation. So still got it, apparently. Yeah. And it's so this was the first quarter was pretty even. It was 14 11. And then the middle two quarters swung pretty wildly. So it went from Cantu up three after one to then Gillianova will have been up nine at halftime. Eight. Eight at halftime, sorry. And then Cantu tying it up after three and Gillianova winning the fourth quarter by three to ultimately win the game by three. So, yeah, this was two very close quarters separated by two big swings. And I don't know if that's a sign of... This shouldn't be teams figuring each other out because this is minimum the fourth time they've played each other this season. And I don't think you you can look at these teams on paper and kind of know what they're about, right? There's nobody who's a wild X factor in any of these games. Badoon's played the same way forever. Cantu have all played with Badoon going back to as recently as last season. And Cavanini's done his thing for the last 800 years, as we've said. Yeah. Although Kevin Ehe did shoot a three in this game, which I don't think I've ever seen. No, that's weird. Did he shoot, did he like accidentally fade too much from the elbow? Or <laughs> um, Badoon five from nine threes in this game. We should mention that. 
Oh yeah, that makes a difference. Yeah, yeah just by the looks of things, Burdoon was great. I wish they made this game available we're gonna, to the masses. We're gonna have to fire the fire the. To be fair, I think now we're getting some money in from the Kofi account. We should probably just pay for a VPN to watch like the three Italian league games a year. It's a terrible misuse of funding. Um, yeah, probably. Also, um, this would be a great time to be sponsored by a VPN. It would. If should we do the thing that I said we should do where we just pretend and we just like read an ad out and kind of try and force it? You have the floor. No, I don't want to do that. It was <laughs> okay. Well, then, yes, we will do that, but apparently not now because you chickened out. Yeah. Um, right, cool. Shall we move country or do you have anything else to say about Italy? Uh, um, no, just for, for people who maybe don't follow Italy as closely, this is the first game of a best of three. So the remaining two games, there is one game in this game was in Milan for Cantu's home game. There will be a game at Gillianova and then potentially game three back at Cantu. So Gillianova, having pulled this upset, have a chance to go back to their home court and win this game, which is that's definitely the coolest part of scoring the upset in the first game of a series is like, hey, we could win this at home. That would be great. Oh, for sure especially their place where you open the sports hall door and roll out onto the beach. <laughs> it was like, hey, let's grab the trophy and roll onto the beach and have a great time. Oh, really? Is it that close? I've never been there. Yeah. No, literally, as you open the like fire exit, and I think it's even behind the home bench. So I think they... I think when they hosted Champions Cup, whenever it was, there was something where teams to- got told they couldn't use the fire exit behind the bench all the time because teams were like finishing their games, going out to the beach and then trying to like come back in to watch. And they were like disrupting whatever game was going on. But yeah. Um, so yeah, Julian over are going home with the chance to win this. So shout out to them because I certainly wouldn't have called it being this close at any point. And even when they pulled it this close in the Coppa Italia final, I was kind of like, hmm, have they played their hand to a more talented and deeper Cantu team a bit too early at this point? But no, it looks like they're for real, man. Yeah, but maybe not. All um, right. Adolfo Badoon is on teams that are contenders to win the Italian league, like regardless of where he is. Yeah, that must be the case. Yeah. Right. It's Germany. like the Sofia and Mayawi thing that we spoke about, where it's like, hey, do you just one man just... champs cup invitational? Yeah. Except for like he just plays seasons and gets teams into positions to maybe win stuff. Like yeah. right. And speaking of teams that we thought may have played their hand, Landale wow. 66, Thuringen 55. I would not have called this having witnessed what I watched a week prior to this game. No, unbelievable. Um, I said to you the best thing about these guys playing so much is it's like you've got two good coaches and two really smart teams and you actually get to see them like adjust and sort of put little wrinkles in and kind of change rotations and put people's minutes up or down or left or right. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, sure. And the big news for this one is that Landil, having stuck to the same starters more or less all year, brought Tommy Bomer and Yannick Blair off the bench for this one in favor of starting Rio Fujimoto and Katarina Weiss. And that was presumably because they were sick to death of getting pummeled by Thuringa's size advantage. And Rio came out like a man possessed and took nine shots in the first quarter, which might be as high for the whole season. Um, yeah. I think I, I love watching Rio, but I think my one criticism of him, if you can call it a criticism, is he sometimes has the Mark Gasol, hey, I'm so smart that I don't need to shoot this yet kind of thing. Where The thing of like something better is always out there and you're like, ah, something really good for 40 minutes probably wins you the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. The selflessness thing, like it's a compliment rolled up in a. Yeah. It's a weird one, but he's, he's one of those guys who he could shoot the ball every time he catches it if he wanted to, but he is always in search of something better. And presumably that got dialed down slightly when they've 
had tough games against the ring in the last couple of times. And he was like, hey, you know, I'm just going to go down swinging here. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah, like they need that. They needed that size to combat Turingan's size. And like, look, look at the other side of the stats. Fahid had one point. Yeah. You know, I don't know what's what's going on there, man. Like he had a weird, he had a weird Champions Cup semifinal, obviously, and kind of looked like he was in his head. Yeah, the, yeah. Maybe that's still there. I don't know. Maybe Landil just did a very good job on him. That's a lot of it. Yeah, a couple of I mean, Vahid was pretty good against Landil in the bronze game at Champs Cup, following a pretty average semi-final. But yeah, very, very quiet game from him and him out of the paint quite well as well. Like he was kind of yeah. contested post-ups, one shot under the hoop that he missed. But. Yeah, sure. Uh, and Haluski finished with 16, but Haluski was not in any way assertive like he usually is, I don't think. I think he was way more content to shoot perimeter shots in this game than I've seen him be recently. I don't... I, Struggle to attribute that entirely to Rio being in the game for more minutes, but it—I don't know if it was like a lack of focus from Thuringen because they've beaten them a couple of times recently. I don't know if there's naturally some complacency that comes along with that. That's not a criticism. If that is the case, I think that's like human nature to an extent. But yeah, I don't know. I—I I would be surprised if Thuringen make any huge adjustments going into the second game of this and if their game plan isn't hey why don't we just play like we've played all year and not worry about what they're trying to dictate yeah that's not incredible analysis but i think it might be that simple for them maybe i i do like there is a thing where you play a team a certain way it goes well they make an adjustment and you have a while of be like oh okay all right yeah sure that's what they're doing yeah, I think um, the strange one from Thuringia outside of Vahid being a bit of a no-show is of their two, two fives that they start, one guy had 19 points on eight from 13 and one guy had zero on zero from eight. And had you told me that before the game, I would have said Jordi Ruiz to finish with 19 and Joachim Linden to finish scoreless because they don't ask a huge amount of him and he's getting up there in age a little bit but Joachim Linden with 19 had a huge game and Jordi Ruiz was more or less invisible for this one yeah that was a really weird one once again it's yeah, partly weird partly good team does good job on player like. yeah. yeah and I think this was obviously we spoke to Tommy Burma the week after they got annihilated by Thuringen at Thuringen mid-season. We haven't had any contact with anyone from Landil. Well, at least I haven't, you might know, um, since the Champs Cup game. But this looks like, I mean, everything we've heard from the Landil guys that we've spoken to on the podcast is that they take their video breakdown and analysis stuff extremely seriously and consider that one of their competitive advantages. And looking at the way they came out prepared for this game you feel like they figured something out and they're going to make Thuringen have to go and readjust to match up to them they're not just going to roll out the same thing that Thuringen yeah I'm super excited to see the adjustment also without looking Thuringen's biggest lead I don't think they let maybe maybe early no, 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 no. It was like it was like 10-2 Landil at one point, I think. Yeah, so I don't think they even led to start the game. Yeah, no, this was, they did not. This was yeah, this, what a weird game, man. The biggest scoring run on either side being seven points from Landil and five points from Thuringen. Thuringen's whole thing is that you don't put more than four straight points in a row <laughs> against them ever. Um and yeah, they Thuringen only getting five doesn't feel like that's happened all year. And 24 points in the paint for Thuringen, they only win that battle by two. It's like they just, there wasn't a single element of their own game plan that they're able to execute. And I guess credit to Landil on that one. Yeah. 
Oh, all credit to Landil. Also, I've just seen on the stats here, they've got the last tab, which is a preview, which is like the two teams' like season stats, and they've got shot breakdowns and stuff, and it's all very, very, very cool. So I would recommend anyone who cares to go and have a gander at that stuff. Decent. Yeah, do that. Um, yeah, have you got anything else on this game? Because this was... I feel like we're we're underselling this by being like, hey, it was really just as easy as Landil came out incredibly well prepared and did everything they presumably hoped to do. No, yeah, that's the hardest thing in the world. Hey, you just got beaten by a team. You have to go away, figure out what it was, figure out a plan yeah. that might work against them. Because at this level, it's not like, hey, this will work. It's like, hey, this is our best chance for it to kind of swing our way by a couple of percent, which is sure. what they needed it to do came out actually executed it for for a full like a full game also they had some big decisions to make like not starting Tommy is yeah a thing to do he still played 30 minutes but if like, I was the ring and so the thing that would concern me is they in the two games most recently they've beaten Landell they've done so by completely taking Tommy out of it at the expense you know see if Hero wants to carry Landil through it or see if Brian wants to come away from his usual role and shoulder more of the load. And that's worked well for them. And then they, granted, Tommy didn't start and maybe that changed the rotations a little bit, but Tommy only got five made baskets on 18 shots for 11 points. And you, if you're Thuringen, you still lost this game by double digits when the advantage in your game plan this entire time has been, hey, we are the one team that feels comfortable we can take Tommy out of the game. Sure. If you're forcing him into an inefficient game and the rest of the guys are stepping up now, as they maybe didn't do before, you that there is no question that there is enough talent on Landil to win them the game if they execute right against the pressure that's being over-applied to Tommy. Yeah, and if you're Thuringen, you've got away with that for two games, and you certainly didn't get away with it for this one. So, no, I would be right. concerned if I was them. Here's the question: If you were, what's his name, Michael Engel, I think is his name. Yeah. Um, what What's your readjustment? Um, I would get. I think, I think we're overstepping who we think we are at this <laughs> point. But I'm just I, interested. Someone on your get, clipboard. I would get Jordi Ruiz and Vahid some shooting practice first up. <laughs> I think they take plenty of shots. Yeah. Um, no, I think Haluski being Haluski and Vahid playing their game is kind of the most crucial thing. I think Landil really took each of them out of what they wanted to do. Haluski's diverse enough in his skill set that he was able to make up for some of his lack of ferocity in this game, but They've got the two, they've got the best combo of bigs in Europe, probably. You know, you can debate like senders. Yeah. yeah, you can debate their definition of big or whatever. They've got the two best, the best inside scoring combo of anybody in Europe. And they got a combined 17 points. And a lot of that was Haluski shooting from outside, which he's more than capable of. But Landil's whole thing is they're not gigantic, they're you know, mobile and versatile and whatever else yeah. you want to call it. So, yeah, leverage your advantage in the bigs, man. I appreciate that's more difficult to do when Jordy's not shooting well, but similar but to... That's not, like, Jordy not shooting well isn't something that you, that you need to, like, talk about on a whiteboard. Like, no, no. it doesn't go zero for me at the game. It's similar to what we talked about with Tommy this time last week, right, when it's like, hey, they're not gonna, Jordy's not going to have one bad game and Landil just stop defending him. Like, that. Yeah, that they're going to take him seriously and you have to use that to your advantage because, realistically, if Haluski and Vahid don't show up, you're not getting 19 points from Joachim Linden again, presumably. That's the most he's had all year. And that's no disrespect to him, but there's very little reason to think that he'll pull out two straight games of that when he hasn't done so all season. That would be so good, though. That would be excellent. I I always forget how much I like watching him, to be fair. He's so not flashy, but so sound at everything, more or less. Yeah, he's great. Um, Yeah, what about you? What's your your Thuringen, here's what we need to do, or what's your Landil, hey, we can't let them do this? 
Um, we need to stay ahead of the game. I agree with you. Like, I think leveraging your bigs more is the thing. And it's like, how much are you, how much of your bigs taking a step back was the Landill adjustment versus what can you push? And yeah. like, and I don't know, like some of that comes from Jordy not being zero from eight again, which just won't happen. But yeah, I don't know. I wonder how much of it with the heat is like, he's had a couple of ropey ones in a row when he's kind of feeling it. Yeah. Oh, he had a bronze medal game last weekend that he was good in. So. Yeah, the Vahid stuff is strange, man. I I think he has a track record of being good enough for long enough that I don't really think... I don't look at these couple of blips and say, oh, he's just going to be bad for the rest of this. No, no, of course because not. He, he is, you know, top yeah. pick a number big guy in the world. But yeah, I, I don't know, man. This was This is kind of the problem with the fact that we've had two Thuringen blowouts of Landil and then the scripts flip for one game, there's almost versus the body of evidence we've seen already, there's just not enough minutes, shots, offences, defences to work out exactly what the difference is here. And we're probably not going to know that for at least one more game, but within one more game, this could all be over, which is kind of mad. Yeah. Give me seven game series of these guys playing and making adjustments each time. Definitely right to the teams that actually make adjustments rather than just being like, Hey, if we just run our stuff better, which is also a thing, but the old wheelchair basketball halftime coaching talk of, Hey, come on, guys! Yeah, <laughs> lovely. I'm right. sure that's not what's happening at, at that level. No, it's not. All right, right. should we cool. get out of here? Yes, we should. All right, thank you very much for listening. Cheers for listening, guys. And we will have a midweek episode for you this week and tune in to see what it is. We will. And if you haven't done so already, go check out our coffee account and feel free to support us. Thank you to everybody who has done. Like the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, tell a friend to tell a friend. Yep. That's basically it. Cheers, everybody. Peace out. Take it easy.